Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC. Coming at you right here, we're going to turn the page. A little bit of recruiting talk right here, and we're going to turn the page to the class of 2025. Joining me to do that is co-host Will Miles. Find him at a site, readingreaction.com. On YouTube at Reading Reaction, you can find him on uh, social media at Will Miles SEC. Will, uh, the class of 2024, off to that hot start, got really hot over the summer, kind of dwindled there throughout the season. Um, that storyline has been uh, well, well, well established, but now time to turn the page to the class of 2025. And a really interesting storyline, Will, you know, with the first two years of Billy Napier not going the way as Gator fans want, uh, probably got to deal with a little bit more negative recruiting, uh, go, you know, this, this go around, but mainly because given the, uh, you know, the record the last couple of years and the first two years under Billy Napier. Yeah. I mean, look, this is always the risk, right? I mean, when you don't turn things around and when you struggle and, and when the, the knives come out from the fan base and the boosters and that sort of stuff, it definitely starts to play in the minds of the recruits who are planning to come there. No one wants to commit to a program and then have to immediately go through change. I mean, humans in general, right? We try to prevent change. We try to try to find stability and those sorts of things. And oh, that's, a, that, that's some terms right now we'll get into later on as well. But, <laughs> so, you know, that, there's just not that that doesn't exist in Gainesville right now. That's a problem. But that also means that these guys are going to have to really prove out their recruiting chops. And, you know, we'll see what they can do. I think um, there's a lot to sell about the university of florida certainly but yeah they're gonna have to deal with people who come in and say do you really want to break in a new coach do you really want to deal with with all the things that come along with that and you know is what they're telling you really true because they may not be there in a year so they don't have to tell you the truth all those things are things people will be able to tell you the hope is though that billy napier has has established himself as someone who is going to tell the truth right who is going to be a genuine person that is one thing we've never heard from anybody behind the scenes or, or even on the record that Napier's not a genuine person. So I don't expect him to like change his stripes and all of a sudden go out there and in desperation, just start lying to people. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm here. You know, I mean, and, and honestly, what would you believe anyway? So um, look, it's going to be a tough road to climb. You, you got to climb it, but I think what you're going to see is you're going to see folks hold off for a little bit um, to see what they see when the 2024 season starts. And that's not great when it comes to the, to the top tier guys in a class because those guys tend to commit relatively early, but it's just the reality of where Florida sits right now. And so Napier's going to have to come out, come out hot, 
really sort of establish himself as not on the hot seat in 2024. And if all of the progress we've sort of been hoping to see the first couple of years starts to really show up in year three, then I think he can have a really strong close to the 2025 class. But I think, you know, that there's, it makes sense to me that people would be sitting on the fence and it's frustrating. I know for fans, frustrating for people who analyze this stuff at the same time, it's just the reality of where the program sits right now. Yeah. So, I mean, look what we got here. Um, there are three commits in the class right now, so a pretty good start given the circumstances, Will. And, you know, we'll get into it. Who could be next to commit for the Gators? And, and they might be right on pace for where they were last year. Um, some differences in, you know, the quality of commit, but even that might be turning around soon. So we'll get into that, but we'll get into the start that the Gators have. As I mentioned, three commits right now, uh, maybe adding a fourth uh, com coming up soon, which would put them about on pace as last year. Uh, we'll get into the quarterbacks, of course. That's the most important position on the field. We'll get into some quarterback talk. We'll go into the state of Florida, uh, of course, a big, big topic uh, always when covering these Gators and recruiting. Uh, I know Will, that was one topic he really wanted to hit on um so we'll, we'll dive into that and a little bit more we'll probably get into the craig fitzgerald talk i know guys i put it up uh, last night during the super bowl uh the article uh and the announcement craig fitzgerald already leaving florida after five weeks on the job and joining his uh one of his best friends there bill o'brien uh there at boston college i mean it, it took a unique situation for it to happen and of course uh that situation finds florida so <laughs> uh we will we will get into that too uh to we'll, we'll, we'll end the episode on a on, on a bad note but um so we'll get there everybody like subscribe right here on gators breakdown to get those notifications uh when you subscribe to gators breakdown when there's new gators breakdown Click that bell notification. You'll know when we go live. Leave a comment. Your support out there really, really helps Gators break Gators, Gators breakdown grow. Leave a comment. What do you What do you think about the class of 2025? We'll get into it right here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. GatorsBreakdown.com. As I mentioned, you can find where I just put the uh, yesterday the Craig Fitzgerald. Uh, you hear, hear from him. Hear from Billy Napier about his um, uh, decision to leave, and also you know the recent. Uh, what, what was said, all the good that was said about Fitzgerald for Billy Napier just last week, <laughs> National Signing Day press conference, and Trey on Webb a couple of weeks ago on Gators Breakdown, let you know uh, potentially how big of a loss this is for the Gators. So uh, we'll get into all that. Um, um, you, know, you, you can find it all there at GatorsBreakdown.com. Uh, so, uh, well, let's get to it then. Hey, for this class of 2025, you know, hey, look, despite these consecutive seasons on underwhelming on-field results the last two seasons, uh, three commitments so far for the Gators uh, and defensive lineman Jalen Wiggins, running back Waltez Clark, and wide receiver, wide receiver Josiah Abdullah. That's not far off the pace for the 2024 class last year, which added its fourth commitment linebacker Darius Hayes, who ended up at Miami, but he was the Gators' fourth commitment last year, last year on January 28th. So, um, not too far off the pace, and at that time, Hayes joined quarterback DJ Lagway, linebackers Miles Graham, uh, running back Chauncey Bowens. I mean, funny, Will, that two of those guys didn't even end up in the class, <laughs> Chauncey Bowens and and, um, and Hayes, but it was about four, four commits a year ago. So notable difference between the two classes is the quality of recruits when Hayes joined um, he was Florida's third top 100 commit at the time, joining Lagway and Graham, whereas currently Wiggins is the only top 100 player in Florida's 2025 class. Uh, well, let's get into it. Tallahassee's Jalen Wiggins comes in as a 92nd-ranked player on the 24-7 sports composite. He's the 7th-ranked defensive lineman and the 11th-ranked player in the state of Florida. Uh, an own three industry rankings. Uh, has him as the 83rd-ranked player, 8th-ranked defensive lineman, 12th best in the state of Florida overall. 
Then we get the running back out of Tampa, four-star Waltez Clark. He ranks 207 overall on the 24-7 sports composite, the 19th-ranked running back, 31st-ranked player in the state of Florida. On three has him as the 210th overall, 17th running back, and 30th best player in the state of Florida. And lastly, wide receiver Josiah Abdullah out of Atlanta comes in at 399 overall on the 24-7 sports composite in the country's 53rd-ranked wide receiver and the 48th best player in Georgia. On three industry rankings, ranked them at 415th best overall, 63rd best wide receiver, and the state of Georgia's 44th-ranked player. So, Will, what this means, early in the cycle, Florida ranks 20th on the 24-7 sports composite, 12th in the on three industry rankings, Florida is the highest ranked team on both rankings with at least three com- uh, with, with at least uh, the commitments with only three. They're, they're, they are the least. Um, <laughs> they have the least commitments with only three. They're the highest ranked team with only three commitments. All the teams ranked ahead of Florida have at least four commitments. So despite the on-field results so far, off to a promising start uh, and impressive considering you know the negative recruiting like we mentioned that's going to be out there. Um, and look. Well, I'm not sure that significant recruiting surge in this summer, like, like like last summer, is expected. You know, this start here could lead to maybe better than anticipated results, but some big names that you know that there's some targets that we'll discuss shortly coming up that really could flip this pretty soon for Florida. That uh, this could be a surprisingly good start to the class, but will ultimately, I think we know, will probably come down to wins as far as you were saying earlier, but. At least with this start and maybe some potential targets coming up, maybe there's a positive outlook. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that's one of the things that people get get critical of us about, at least me, is that I'm negative when it comes to recruiting. These are really good players that Florida's bringing in. It's good players Florida brought in last year. It's good players Florida brought in two years ago. I think my main complaint for really over the past three years for Billy Napier is he hasn't brought in enough at the high school level when you then factor in the, the level that they brought in from the transfer portal. But I think it's also important to note that Jalen Wiggins, like you mentioned, the 11th ranked player in the state in the 24-7 composite, is from Tallahassee, Florida. Waltez Clark from Tampa, Florida, and Josiah Abdullah from Atlanta, Georgia. We're not recruiting from from you know Cleveland. We're not bringing in people from Charlotte. We're not out in Los Angeles bringing in these first three guys. They're focused in on the state. That's a positive development, given where we're going to talk about a little bit coming up later in terms of Florida and what they've done really over the past decade there. At, at when when it talks when you're talking about signing players. You know, is it good enough for what it's going to take in the SEC or against some of the big boys in college football? I mean, as always, you know, look, Florida 20th overall, like you mentioned, three commits, two four stars, one three star. Their average player rating is 92.3. Okay. So it's compared to what? All right. Well, Alabama 93.7, zero five stars, two commits. So they're behind Florida in the rankings, but they will jump them the minute they get one more recruit. Um, FSU's at 94. They have one five-star. LSU's at 94.8. They have three five-stars. Georgia's at 95.6 with two five-stars. And Ohio State's at 95.9 with two five-stars. So in terms of where Florida needs to go, they have a ways to catch up. The good news is with only three commits, it only takes a couple of guys in that top tier to immediately rocket them right up to where they are. So that's where the key really comes in is that Napier and company are going to have to close some of the guys that they're going after. They're going to have to end up 
probably flipping some of the guys who have already decided to go someplace else and get them to come into Florida. We all know what that requires. It's not just uh, it's not just a suave voice and promising people playing time, <laughs> that there are mechanisms behind the scenes that the NCAA may or may not like that, uh, that, that cause those things to happen, and Florida's going to have to make that stuff happen. It's the reality of the way things are these days. Florida is behind when it comes to the big boys in college football right now. They've been behind most of the time um, over the last decade, really, in recruiting. The only time that I wouldn't have said that was last year before early signing day. And obviously, we all know what happened there in terms of a bunch of guys deciding to go to different places. So, But they have lagway in place, right? I mean, that's always been sort of the 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 crutch, I guess, for all of this stuff is an elite quarterback really does sort of solve a lot of wounds. And so, you know, if, if it turns out that lagway brings a lot of hope to the future, then I think you're going to see him be sort of a Pied Piper for people coming to Gainesville because all of a sudden you will be able to sell stability because you got a guy there at that position for the next couple of years and everybody's going to know that. So a lot of it's going to depend on what happens during the season. I think, I think you will see an uptick on guys over the summer. I think Napier and company have to recognize that it's important to sell the program, to sell the vision, to sell, um, you know, to sell to recruits that we are building something here. And quite honestly, to sell to the fan base and the boosters that we're building something here. And, you know, there was a lot of talk when people, when the noise got loud around Napier towards the end of last year during the five game losing streak. Well, the real debate was sort of, you know, one, we all knew he was going to get three years at least, but it was, you know, for people who are like, I'm out, I'm out. It's like, yeah, but look at that recruiting class. And if they can set that up again, then you make Florida make a difficult decision, even if the results on the field aren't exactly what you want. And so, look, hopefully they've got all the mechanisms in place to make sure they can land the recruits who come in. Hopefully they've got the budget set up to be able to to be able to bring those guys in. But there's still some work to do. I mean, obviously, but we're very early on, like you mentioned. And, uh, you know, last year, this time, we probably would have been saying very similar things other than we would have said lagways in the fold. So <laughs> the question I have is, who's that guy, right? Who's the guy they're going to get to pop? And we're going to be able to say that guy's in the fold. That's an important piece of winning in the future. And that's a big deal for Florida and Billy Napier to bring that guy in. Yeah, we'll certainly get into that. Uh, some targets and who could be next to commit. But well, I'm going to go to your point. And I was going to save this toward the end of maybe how many to sign. But some of you out there know the name Bill Sykes. And um, I know he reached out to Will uh, I know on the Discord over the weekend, the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord. Bill got to his... uh. Got to his old ways a bit. Well, he's never, uh, okay, I say old ways, but he's never really dropped his uh, love for uh, recruiting data. But uh, the topic was you know, the signing and how many to sign. And, you know, it, Will, you mentioned the small classes Billy Napier has brought in. So, you know, it, look, part of this is how much room do you leave for the portal and, and all that. You know, last cycle, the 2024 cycle, look, the plan was to find, sign 25, 26 high schoolers before decommits. And Florida had to pivot to get, more in the portal that the that wasn't the original plan you know you had that class you were you really trending towards 25 26 guys you had some decommitments had to really kind of change the plan later on now that could pay off more for this season anyway being able to bring in more transfers this critical season the transfers maybe be more beneficial anyway uh that needs to be the hope but the classes have been on the smaller side since napier took over so our good friend bill sykes was busy this weekend with real with you know the research only he can produce will and then the things that he looks up and the way bill's mind works you know it's just uh it, it uh a lot of you know you have followed it for years for for bill if you do want to interact he's still on get your breakdown plus but uh you'll never you won't really see him in 
article and podcast form much, but he did give us the uh, uh, the go ahead to share his work uh, here on Gators Breakdown. So he quickly went through the past three cycles right, since Billy Napier took over 2022, 23, 24, those cycles uh, to find out how many players each team was signing from the high school ranks, how many they add through the portal and how many they lost uh, without respect to which coach signed those players. Uh, here's what Bill found. He said, "You uh, Florida has signed 20.7 prospects per year from the high school and JUCO ranks. That's traditional signees, which ranks in a three-way tie with South Carolina and Kentucky for 11th place out of 16 teams. He's counting Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, so small, you know, averaging 20 recruits since Billy Napier took over. Florida has added an average of 9.7 transfer portal players per year during that three-year period which again is 11 of 16 teams. Those with fewer in descending order of rank include Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Texas, Alabama, and Georgia. He says uh, he believes this reflects a few bottom feeder programs and then the three big dogs who have no need to shop at Big Lots. (laughs) um, He said Florida has lost an average of 21 players per cycle in the portal over the past three cycles, which is the sixth highest. They trail in order. From Alabama, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, and Mississippi State, and of course Alabama really just got hit hard. <laughs> so uh, that that uh, with the retirement of Nick Saban. So he said Florida's ratio of add minus, um, you know, is a net loss of 34 players. Uh, that is the fourth biggest net loss in the league, trailing Alabama at minus 58, Georgia minus 38, Texas at minus 36. The problem is that all three of the schools they trail in this category are what I would refer to as portal producers. They are each elite recruiting programs that are churning relatively talented players through depth chart natural selection. Furthermore, the three high-ranked programs in this category signed an average. Here's the the kicker. Furthermore, the three higher-ranked programs in this category signed an average of 18.3 prospects more than Florida did during the past three cycles. Given that Florida's average class size during that period is only 20.7 players, that means all three signed an extra entire class in three years. So, Will, part of that is, you know, some some coping mechanism of the Florida recruiting is, oh, yeah, but look at that average. Okay, well, great. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of quality players in Florida's class, but... It's the same thing Georgia's doing, but with 25, 26 players in the class and Texas and Alabama. Uh, so, you know, they've signed an extra recruiting class the last three cycles. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, it's it, it, Florida's in this rock in a hard place situation. You, Billy Napier decided to go with the high school recruiting route earlier on. Um, probably could have hit the transfer portal a little bit harder uh, for more instant impact. But, you know, Florida's kind of in that in-between where you recruit good enough high school players, but you still need some portal acquisitions at the same time. So Bill Good did go on to say Florida had an average team recruiting ranking of seven of the 14 teams in the SEC over the past three cycles. That doesn't count Oklahoma and Texas, which would knock Florida to nine of 16 average recruiting ranking in the SEC right now. So... Talk about class size, Will. Maybe how much it has hurt Florida so much in Billy Napier's tenure. It does leave room for a little more transfers, but I think we're really now kind of seeing that, you know, you, you want to pay off in this critical year three. It hasn't 
help Florida in the win-loss column. It might be worse if Florida didn't hit the transfer portal the way they have. We're getting Osiris Torrance in year one, and Ricky Pearsall, and then Grant Mertz last year as well. Montreal Johnson go low in that category at the same time. Uh, but, Will, I mean, it is astonishing to see Georgia, Alabama, Texas recruit at a high level, but throw in seven, eight more players a class to that. And that's part that, – and that goes to the whole natural selection of – when they lose players, they're losing players because those guys, you know, couldn't make it. They go, might go on to transfer somewhere else and be really, really good players. Um, it's it's a, it's eye opening there just how far Florida is in some ways to the top dogs in the SEC. Yeah, I mean, look, recruiting is a statistical game. It's you want to stack as many players as you can because the more players you can stack when one guy doesn't work out, you got somebody to step in and take the role. And what we've seen at Florida the last couple of years is one guy gets injured and everything falls apart. Like you think about Shamar James getting injured last year and the linebacker play was okay there for the first three or four games. The defense had some things that were sort of trending in the wrong direction, but you could say, hey, maybe they're going to improve sometime soon. And then Shamar James goes down and everything falls apart. And there just wasn't the depth behind him to be able to pick up the slack when he got injured. And, you know, that might be okay in the Big Ten. That might be okay in the ACC. That might be okay in the Pac-12. It's not okay in the SEC. you got to have the ability to weather a few injuries. And, you know, we even saw it last year, like the effect of recruiting and, and what it does when, we, when you look at LSU. And LSU got a transcendent year at the quarterback position and still wound up losing three games because it turns out that even Jaden Daniels wasn't able to uh, wasn't able to tackle somebody on the defensive side of the ball. And you know LSU sort of in the same situation Florida was back in 2020 when Kyle Trask played really really well, and the defense just couldn't pick up the slack. It's not a coincidence that Florida struggled against the Kentuckys and the South Carolinas and and the Arkansas of the world because they're not recruiting at a level that is so much higher than those teams that you would expect this huge differentiator. The thing about recruiting is that the value that you get from the top, top, top recruits is so much more than the value you get from the middle that if, that if you sort of end up stuck in the middle, everybody's sort of in the same spot. Mm -hmm. And then it comes down to coaching, comes down to game day decision-making, comes, comes down to development, comes down to um, clock management, you know, the middle eight, all that sort of stuff starts to really play a role if you're sort of even. And, and in many ways, it comes down to quarterback, too. Um, so, again, you look at the difference between LSU and Florida last year. The real difference was the quarterback. If you took Jaden Daniels and Graham Mertz and switched them, I think you're probably talking about Florida having a 9-3 and three season and, and LSU missing the bowl game. That's just – I mean, the defenses were essentially equivalent. And the difference was is that LSU had a dynamic number one in the country offense, and Florida was pretty pedestrian on that side of the ball. And that's just the reality. So – what that means is you got to bring in game changers through the transfer portal if you're not going to bring them in through the high school ranks. It means you better hit on every single evaluation that you have because you can't afford to bleed those guys off. And then the other thing that it means is exactly what we saw last year, which is that Florida had the youngest team in the country, and young players, even though they may play well for young players, don't tend to play – excuse me – don't tend to play well in terms of when you compare them to all of college football. So if we talk about um, Jordan Castell, he was the 17th best defender in the true freshman class last year, but he was something like the 720th overall defensive player in the country based on pro football focus rankings. So very, very good player for a freshman. 
but not a great player in the NCAA. He was he was above average on defense, but he wasn't elite. And that's the thing. You hope he takes a jump to elite this year. That obviously would help the defense. But if you're relying on true freshmen, you're going to struggle. And the in the past, when there's been transitions at different schools, like think about Ron Zook, right? You talk about Zook sort of filling the cupboard for um, – you know, filling the cupboard for Urban Meyer to take over. Well, now when you get these transitions, everybody leaves. And so mm-hmm. now you got to start backfilling it with the portal. I think, I think there's some fair criticisms of Napier being slow to backfill through the portal. I think there's some fair criticisms just in terms of the overall class size at the same time. Um, you know, I think Napier also has shown himself to be very deliberate and he warned us early on that this wasn't going to be this rapid process and maybe that's not the right way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't say that he didn't warn us. And he said something the other day in a press conference. I, I saw that. I saw the quote in passing. I didn't actually he also see noticed the quote. before last season. They don't know what I know. So, yeah. yeah. Um, we still don't know what he knows is, is what I would say. Um, I'm just not sure that's a good thing. So uh, I, now he said something a couple of, or a week ago at a press conference. I saw mm-hmm. him passing like that essentially, and I can't remember the quote. I'm probably going to butcher it, but essentially that, it took them, it's taken them some time sort of get their sea legs when it comes to NIL and the transfer portal and that sort of stuff. Um, You know, that's, that's not a great answer for Florida fans, but it's at least an admission that things need to change. And so we'll see that to me is the thing is we always talked about this. I remember when you and I were talking about Muschamp and McIlwain and it wasn't, or not Muschamp, McIlwain and Nussmeyer. And on the offensive side of the ball, we weren't looking for like a world beating offense. We were just looking for progress. So I go back to the recruiting and I go, I'm not looking for him to put up a top three class this year. I think last year was a shot and they didn't get it done. The idea that they will be able to do it this year, I think is probably short-sighted, but we got to have improvement. You can't be struggling to be sitting there at the 10, right? At the 10 mark, the 10 to 12 mark. You can't be 10 and some and 17 and another, like they need to be in that six to nine range, at least solidly. Um, in order to say that's progress. And while I don't like admitting that we're not going to be a top three class, I think when you look at it, who the players are, the situation in Gainesville, that'd probably be a pretty good result if Napier can end up sixth or seventh when the dust settles. All right. Well, what helped it last cycle was, of course, you mentioned DJ Lagway. And, hey, look, sign one of the top prospects in the class of 2024 with DJ Lagway in the last cycle from Texas, and now, Will, they're targeting other out-of-state prospects for the 2025 class. There are two prominent names we need to discuss right here uh, when we kind of – let's go into more detail about this 2025 class, but let's start at the most important position on the field. Those two prominent names are Ryan Montgomery from Ohio and Antoine Hill, hailing from the state of Georgia. Let's start with Montgomery. He's been associated with Billy Napier and his staff for a long time, Will. Uh, Billy Napier – Visited his school uh, a, a few weeks ago, strengthening their already solid relationship. Montgomery, a six foot three, two hundred and ten pound four star quarterback, he plans to make an early decision. He's visited several several schools recently. Uh, the visits include South Carolina, Georgia, Florida. Uh, back way back in August, he listed Florida, Georgia, Michigan, Penn State, and South Carolina as his top five. But it looks to be a top three right now between Florida. South Carolina, and Georgia. As it stands now, it may come down to a decision pretty soon this sometime this spring between Florida and South Carolina. He said he wants to make his decision before uh, before the spring, and Georgia looks to also be pursuing USC commit Juju Lewis right now. So, hey, look, a timeline of commitment may be coming soon. If it comes soon, that 
favors the Gators or the Gamecocks at the time. So Montgomery comes in as the 199th ranked player overall on the 24-7 sports composite, the 15th ranked quarterback. The on three industry rankings has him as the 242nd ranked player overall and the 19th ranked quarterback. All right, let's move on to Antoine Hill, decommitted. If you had that, if that name sounds familiar, he had a lot of headlines when he committed to Colorado, uh, but decommitted from Colorado late uh, in November. Visited Gainesville in January. Four-star quarterback enjoyed his visit. Plans to return for more visits. Uh, probably looking for some this spring. Considered one of the country's top quarterbacks, a top 100 player overall. 24-7 sports composite ranked him as the 67th overall player in the country, 6th ranked quarterback. On three industry ranks him as the 76th overall and 7th ranked quarterback. According to Max Preps, six foot four and a half, 215 215-pound Hill completed 203 of 312 passes for 2,732 yards, 31 touchdowns, and five interceptions last season. Plays in one of the Highest qualifications in Georgia up there in Houston County. Big arm quarterback, pass first quarterback, picks up most of his yards on scrambles, not designed runs. Florida State, LSU, Louisville, Texas A&M, Michigan, and Alabama are also interested in him. He mentions Billy Napier's work with Anthony Richardson and the potential with DJ Lagway is reasons for the high interest in Florida. Some feel, Will, Florida might be the team to beat right now for Antoine Hill. Um, so, Will, Gators put a lot of effort into Ryan Montgomery of Ohio, Antoine Hill of Georgia, but also recently offered SMU commit Keelan Russell of Texas and have extended an offer to four-star Matt Zola out of Pennsylvania. So, you know, we'll see where it goes, Will, but those, uh, those two right there, those two prominent names really look to be, at the moment, I'd say Florida ends up with one of those guys. And on the heels of getting DJ Lagway, uh, it would be would would send some shockwaves, I think, especially with Hill. If you want to go, just go by rankings. I know a lot of people like Montgomery and his game as well. Uh, but yeah, getting either one of those guys, I think, uh, could be pretty would go pretty far for Billy Nathan in his twenty twenty five class. Yeah, I mean, look, like I just said earlier, recruiting's about stacking, and DJ Lagway may turn an ankle. You end up with a high ankle sprain. Who do you have coming in behind him? I mean, you remember 2012, right? Jeff Driscoll stays healthy the whole year. The Florida offense looks decent. The defense carries him, and they have a successful year. 2013, Driscoll breaks his ankle against Tennessee. All of a sudden, you got Tyler Murphy. Tyler Murphy hurts his arm. Now you got Skylar Morhenwig in there, and and you know, obviously, we're seeing. Uh, <laughs> we said we saw that that was not the mo- the most fun thing in the world to watch. Um, we've also seen where they brought in two quarterbacks at one time where they had, um, you know, they had Driscoll and Jacoby, Jacoby reset. And at the same time, one guy transfers out all of a sudden now you don't have the depth that you need. So really at the quarterback position, especially you need to stack them year after year, after year, after year. And that's really one of the things that I think we can say for Napier, at least he, he seems to understand it's just that we had the thing with Jaden Rashad a couple of years ago that prevented that from really stacking up in Gainesville. But look, it's the most important position on the field. I think we all are excited about what DJ Lagway can bring. But as much of a can't miss prospect as he is, some of those guys do miss. Some of those guys suffer injuries. Some of those guys just, you know, for whatever reason, don't pan out. And you got to have backup plans in order to make sure. And these guys are not like, you know, three star, um, you know, ranked 100 or 1200. And, you know, Ryan Montgomery has, 
has offers from just about everywhere. It's a who's who of college football. Um, I think his brother plays for uh, plays for Ohio State, so certainly coming from an athletic family. And and then Hill, like you mentioned, um, got some pub from a for a decommit earlier from Colorado, but um, you know a good player in his own right from Warner Robins, Georgia. So again, sort of rating an area around Gainesville. That's maybe one reason why I would sort of um, look at Hill beyond just the recruiting ranking, look at Hill and say, he's close. It's worth rating that area as opposed to Montgomery, who's up in Ohio. But, you know, hey, if you're pulling somebody away from the Buckeyes or pulling somebody away from the Buckeye State, who's a big-time prospect, the quarterback position, I still think that bodes well for your program. Yeah, timeline's really interesting here. Montgomery, I mean, look, if, if, if Georgia's in the lead, but they may be showing love somewhere else, you know, does he want to wait around on Georgia, or is it really truly going to be Florida, South Carolina, uh, maybe even before that? Um, but as I said, you know, if he thinks he'll may pop sometime this spring, and he really wants Florida. <laughs> so, you know, this, the, the timeline here, could it could benefit Florida. I don't know if it would really hurt Florida, but uh, it, could be, it could be beneficial here. Uh, but I, I got to think at, at the moment while we're sitting here mid-February, one of those guys uh, will be quarterback for the class of 2025 uh, there for the Gators. So, uh, Will, let's turn it to the next topic here. Now, I know the one that you've been waiting to get to, and that's recruiting in the state of Florida. And, and look, for years, it's just been rated. I mean, Georgia will come in and get who they want. Bama will come in and get who they want. Clemson, Ohio State, I mean, the, the – uh, that trend <laughs> lasted way, way, way too long. Uh, maybe turning, but still maybe not the best for Florida when we kind of take a look at what's going on right now. But, hey, well, let's take a look at it. LJ McCray being the highest recruit, um, highest ranked state of Florida recruit Napier has been able to pull in so far, a top five player in the state. Uh, Miles Graham there too, but he really wasn't a state of Florida recruit to his senior year, so measure that however you want to out there. I uh, remember he moved from Georgia to Florida his senior year to play there locally in Gainesville. Uh, but also, Kamari Wilson was another top 10 player uh, in the state in April's first class. He's no longer with the team. Jakeem Jackson, another one that was just outside the top 10 overall for state of Florida players. So, well, let's take a look at it right now. I'm going to uh, add it to us, but... Um, 24-7 sports composite right here. 2025 top football recruits in the state of Florida. And, yeah, um, DJ Pickett, the number one player overall in the state. I mean, not long ago, you felt really good about Florida's chances here uh, for a long time. Corey Raymond leaves Florida, and now Pickett doesn't even really consider Florida in his favorites <laughs> at the moment. Uh, so Jamie French, of course, uh, former Bama commits. Right here in Jacksonville, right down the road from me uh, in, in Mandarin. Uh, Florida State seems to be the trending team uh, as of late since his decommitment to Alabama. Solomon Thomas, the number third player in the uh, number three player in the state here in Jacksonville as well, already committed to the Seminoles, but he is looking around. Dallas Wilson out of Tampa Bay Tech committed to Oregon. FSU with another commit, the fifth ranked in the state, Javion Hilson, uh, edge player there. Uh, Hilton Stubbs, another player from Mandarin right here in Jacksonville, getting some Florida love lately, the sixth-ranked player in the state. Uh, but then you can just keep going down and get the Tarvos Alford uh, some interest there from Florida, it seemed like, but Ohio State seems to be the team to beat right now at that time. Looked like Florida led for a long time for the linebacker, uh, but Jay Bateman leaving, Florida's own field performance kind of hurting itself there. Uh, but then you get to the 11th ranked player of the state, as we mentioned, Jalen Wiggins, already a commit for the Gators. But, Will, I mean, I think the, the first thing you notice is FSU start in state. You look here, top five, they got two of the um, two of the five right now. As I said, 
sitting good for Jamie French as well, the wide receiver. So Florida State could end up with three of the top five players in the state. And I mentioned, hey, and we all mentioned through the Dan Mullen era and the start of Billy Napier era, you got to stop Bama and Georgia and Ohio State and Clemson for coming in and raiding state and getting the state's top talent. Well, that may not be happening this go around, but it looks right now that Florida State may be the benefactor for the best in the state at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it turns out when you go undefeated, it helps your <laughs> recruiting pitch. <laughs> and when when you feel like you got uh, screwed out of playing for the national championship, that doesn't probably hurt it that much, right? I mean, I think in many ways that sort of means that guys aren't climbing onto a bandwagon of a championship team. They're climbing on sort of to push them over the hump. And I can understand why people would look at that. Like, I went back to 2019 or 2018 and said, all right, how many guys in the top 15 of the state have wound up at Florida? So that's 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24. So we're talking seven years. It's 13 players in the top 15 of the Florida rankings who've gone to Florida over seven years, 13 players. So less than two guys per cycle. So this isn't just a Billy Napier problem. Yeah. This is a Dan Mullen problem. And I guarantee you, if you go back and look at Jim McElwain, it would have been a Jim McElwain problem as well. What that tells you is that the logo does not pull the same way that it did back in 2005, 2006, 2007. And you can even see it when you look at the 2025 rankings. When you start, so last year, the state of Florida was stocked, but it was much more in like the Miami area of the state. This year, it's all centered around Gainesville. So Pickett's from Tampa, French is from Jacksonville. Thomas Solomon Thomas is from Jacksonville. Dallas Wilson from Tampa. Javion Hilson from Coco. You got Hilton Stubbs from Jacksonville. You got Owosu Botings from Bradenton. So that's, you know, IMG. That's a little bit different. But then you got Ivan Taylor from uh, Winter Garden. Anthony Rogers from IMG. And then Tarvis Alford from uh, Vero Beach. And Jalen Wiggins from Tallahassee. So Florida obviously pulls Wiggins out of Tallahassee. But everybody else is like right in that Jacksonville, Tampa, Coco area where you just sit there and say, that is where Florida needs to clean up on the recruiting trail. This was a year where you look at it and go, hmm, with Nick Saban sort of clearing out, that should free up two or three guys that were sort of, ah, I can understand why we didn't get those guys because they went to play for Saban. Kirby Smart's not cleaning up in that top 10 this year in the state of Florida. So it's time to spend some money. That's <laughs> what it really boils down to. Like, and we had, uh, we had, uh, you know, the good news is, is that historically, and this was something I sort of relied on last year and trusted last year and was wrong about, is historically there hasn't been a huge change in recruiting classes from you know, about August or September until the end. You sort of look at it. And at that point, you got guys who are really solid for the class and you don't see a ton of flips. Like we saw flips all over the place. Now, Florida was probably hit more than most other programs, certainly when it came to flips away. But yet Ohio State, who were sitting there sweating um, Jeremiah Smith, you know, their their number one guy coming in, weren't necessarily sure what was going on there. You had the stuff with the Darius Hayes that was going on, obviously the stuff with LJ McCray as well. So certainly I think every program is going to have to deal with that. And Florida just needs to get on the positive side of that. And I think the fact that all of these guys are close to Gainesville, they're all, I mean, you know, you're talking Tampa, 130 miles, Jacksonville, 71 miles, uh, Cocoa, 160 miles, Bradenton, 167. It's a two-hour drive. 
to go see those guys. It's a two hour drive to make sure they're seeing you all the time. And you even mentioned after some of the, after the Jameer Grimsley uh, decommit from Alabama, and then he comes to Florida, that that's really the value in maintaining those relationships. I think it's the same thing here. These guys in the top 10, top 20 in the state are close enough that if you are, that, that as part of your recruiting plan, it has to be to keep close to these guys, not just because you want them in this recruiting class, but because they may end up unhappy, disillusioned, whatever, at the program they're in six months after they sign or three months after they sign, or heck, in the case of Saban, six weeks after they sign, and all of a sudden will be looking for a different place. So you still have to put in the groundwork. You still have to make sure you build these relationships. And quite honestly, a couple of these guys need to flip because Florida can't get beat in the top 10 in their own state over and over and over again and expect to win. They just can't. And, you know, we can sit here and go, well, there's an excuse here. Well, there's an excuse there. And, you know, well, the record and all that I don't care. I mean, at yeah. some point, you got to win your state. And if you, I mean, you know, we sit here and talk about national championships of Florida. We're not even one of the state championship in Florida right now. Evans well, is getting footballs and rings for state championships. Well, okay. Just because we're not sad and don't give out <laughs> rings for it doesn't mean I don't want to win it. <laughs> like win the damn game. And you got an opportunity this year, right? You got an opportunity against Miami to start. You got an opportunity against Florida State to finish. So go out there. And UCF, the and UCF in the center of it. Well, I'll tell you, you, you mentioned Sykes earlier. I remember it still rings in my ears from, I don't know, four or five years ago, basically that the winner of the Florida-Florida State game won the recruiting rankings for that year. Every year it was for like a decade straight. Mm. And, you know, look, I don't think it's a coincidence that Florida State won last year. Florida State had an undefeated season, and all of a sudden Florida State's gone flying up in the rankings. They have a vision to sell, right? Mike Norvell can sell something. It's really hard to negatively recruit against a team that only lost when when half their team bailed and they played a team that's way better than them but you know florida doesn't have that same thing to sell they're gonna have to find something though because here's the reality is you have to bring in three of these guys in the top 10 three of them and if you can't bring in three of them then we got to start talking about what's it going to take to get three of these guys because you you just i mean you know for the last decade or at least the last seven years that went over, we've been bringing in less than two per year in the top 15, not like the top 10, the top 15. Mm -hmm. By the time you get down to the 15th player, you're talking to a guy this year, at least you're talking about a guy who's ranked 103rd nationally. So, you know, Florida's always stacked, but you know, you got Pickett at seventh, you got French at 12th, you got Solomon Thomas at 18, Dallas Wilson at 32. Those are your five stars, four or five stars. None of whom right now are projected to go to Florida. It's time to pick it up. Those are guys who have to be Gators. Yeah, you mentioned uh, flip of uh, flip targets. Maybe Solomon Thomas, Florida is certainly uh, really heavy in on him. Even though he's committed to Florida State, well, of course we know that's how it works. You don't you don't stop co commit or trying to get these guys, even though they're committed, especially to your biggest rival. Uh, but especially at a big position in need as well, uh, right there at offensive line there for the Gators. Uh, but uh, hey, we'll get into so, so some talk there. Um, we just mentioned Thomas, an offensive lineman. Gators could be getting one out of state as we talk about maybe who could be next to commit to the Gators, but also, as we mentioned, Hilton Stubbs right there at number six, and that will take us to our next topic right here. We got the class, got three commits, but who could be next? Florida could add, and the most likely will would be offensive line Peyton Joseph out of the state of Georgia, out of Warner Robins, his teammates with quarterback Antoine Hill. Four-star Joseph is the 121st overall player in the 24-7 sports composite. Uh, and um, is a 
and 123rd on the on three industry rankings. Uh, so he's a fifth ranked interior offensive lineman uh, there in that service. Florida, Michigan, Tennessee, Miami, LSU, Florida State, Penn State are his finalists. So up there with some big names. Uh, Florida received his last visit before the dead period when there were already good feelings around him in Florida. Joseph is set to commit this Sunday, February 18th. So it would seem likely if we're looking at the next commit and where it sits right now, Florida looking good. So Joseph looking like the next possible commit right there for the Gators along the offensive line. Others to keep an eye on Will Mandarin in Jacksonville, right down the road from me. I'll uh, help out right here if I can. Uh, say safety Hilton Stubbs. I mean, I could, I, I could be at Mandarin High in, in five minutes there. So uh, highly rated safety target right here in the state. We just got through talking about 49th overall in the 24-7 sports composite and the fourth ranked safety in the country on three industry rankings has him one spot lower. The 50th overall player also has him as the fourth best safety. Six foot two, 175 pounds, a stringy safety prospect with the instinct and skills to make plays, create takeaways, uh, can deliver a blow as well, and overall willing participant in run support. Uh, he thinks the commit is likely to come some come sometime in the summer after some official visits, but he wants to name top schools sometime this spring. I guess the question would be, could Florida push it up faster? We discussed the quarterbacks earlier. Either one of them could be uh, on, on commit watch as well in the coming weeks. Uh, but also add in another safety prospect, four-star safety Keon Young from Lakeland. Uh, he has named Florida his leader and is looking to commit sometime in the spring. A four-star comes in as the 278th overall player on the 24-7 sports composite and the 21st safety prospect. Uh, rated a bit higher on the on three industry rankings, coming in as the 220th overall player and the 17th rated safety. So a good start, Will, can become even better in the next weeks and months. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that Florida's going to get a lot of really good players in this class. They're going to be able to sign a bunch of those guys. And certainly that starts with a guy like Peyton Joseph. I mean, if you look at his tape, a right tackle on tape when you look at it, but a road grader, a guy who really looks like he can move the line. And considering what Florida's identity has, you know, at least what they've wanted it to be under Billy Napier and what they seem to want to do on the offensive side of the ball, that, that becomes important. Stubbs at safety. We saw a lot of, uh, a lot of missed tackles and poor safety play last year. Florida's had to go out of the transfer portal to sort of supplement that with guys like Kamari Wilson leaving, having to bring in guys like Ace Turner to fill roles there at safety. They're going to need guys to step up. And then obviously you mentioned Montgomery and Hill we talked about quarterbacks earlier. One of those guys, or both, if you know, depending, hopefully we get lucky, both of them commit. But look, you get one of those guys, and all of a sudden in June, if you've got Joseph Stubbs and Hill in the fold, this recruiting class is looking really, really good. You add a five star, you add another guy from sort of that top 10 in the Florida rankings, and everything looks um, pretty good heading into the season. And then if you can continue that momentum, momentum by beating Miami early on and sort of setting things up for the, for the, for the murderous schedule on the back end of the, of the schedule, you know, I think people will give Florida some grace if they can go through that schedule, you know, sitting there one and four, two and three, if they've set everything up early on to be, you know, to be pretty good if the vibes around around camp, if the vibes around um, the season are pretty good by the time you get to that Georgia game in Jacksonville. 
Um, but a lot of it's going to depend on that, right? I mean, even if you get these guys committing in June, if things start to fall apart by the time you get into October, uh, how secure are these commitments? So those are the things I think we need to be thinking about when uh, when these guys commit, just because we are in a new era of college football. A lot of the rules that were associated with, with recruiting, now I don't think the rules in terms of how much talent you need to win are going to change all that much. Obviously, there's 12 spots now, <laughs> and so it's going to be easier to get a spot in the playoff. Um, but I don't think the rules about what you need to win in the SEC are going to change. I think what's going to happen is, is that the uh, the method in which you acquire those players and the timing with which you acquire them and whether you acquire them from a different college program or you acquire them from high school, I think all of those things are going to different machinations of that are going to be how teams build. So we'll look at a team like Ole Miss, who's building clearly, at least on the defensive side of the ball through the portal. We'll look at teams like Alabama that I think are still going to be really, really heavily invested in high school football and build that way just because of what they've built. Now, hey, that might have to change with DeBoer in place because you don't have Saban there to sort of, you know, have the gravitas that he has where, you know, if, if you wash out of a Saban program, that says something about you almost like a, from a character perspective, right? If you're a football player, I don't think DeBoer will have that same aura around him. At the same time, I think we can all agree that there will be different ways of building programs depending upon what they can do. And Florida's going to have to figure out how do they fit in that. But I think it also means that when a guy like Joseph commits, let's say he were to commit next week or next month, you know, he's only as secure as as the next game that you play and that's just sort of the reality of college football at this point yes yeah, that's an interesting storyline we saw it kind of fall apart last year with the, the the record and going five and seven and certainly played a huge part uh in those decommitments and yeah i mean well i think best case scenario is florida if, if florida doesn't get that hot summer I, look it won't be as hot as last summer i'd be completely shocked and floored if it did but at the same time, if you can just get guys to hold off and just not make the decision and get them on campus, get them on campus for the Miami game and the UCF game and you know, your home games later in the year when, when, when Ole Miss comes to town and that might be a top 10 uh, Ole Miss team rolling in and you know you still are kind of looking somewhat good uh, bef- you know, as that November stretch gets started. I mean, if you can just get guys to hold off and get them on campus for those I mean, many, many big games for Florida <laughs> this coming up season. Then you got a chance to impress them there, and so uh, I think you, know, you probably won't, won't have as many commitments as you had going into the season last year. But if you can just get them to hold off, get them there uh, in front of the fan base, get them in front of these coaches in that situation, um, hopefully play off, or you know, just play the game. And if you do have a good season anyway, maybe it open up the door uh, for some more flips as well. So uh, I think it's just a lot. And I, well, I. I I sit there and maybe it's orange and blue glasses, but I do sit there and think, I think a lot of people are just waiting to see Florida have some positive momentum, have a good season. I do think that would take care of a whole lot. I, I do think it would be that easy if uh, you know eight, nine win kind of maybe out of nowhere season happens. I do think, you know, Florida can really help itself in November, December, heading into early signing day next year. Yeah, well, I mean, no one was no one was picking Missouri to be any good last year. Yeah. And all of a sudden now the vibes around Missouri's program and Drinkwitz and all that sort of stuff are really, really positive. I think people expected Kentucky, especially with Devin Leary transferring in, to be really good last year. And they were sort of meh. And so the the vibes in Lexington are sort of, well, I guess this is who we are. We're seven and five, eight and four, that sort of stuff. And until they really break through, I'm not sure that they're necessarily going to going to sort of get around that. So the point I'm making is that these teams that sit in the middle, you know, Kentucky has had 10 win seasons in the last couple of years or the last four or five years. 
and they've also had seven win seasons. And Missouri's had seasons where they've won three or four games, and then last year have a really good one. When you're at that level of talent, we're not saying you can't win. We're saying that everything has to go right for you to win at that level. So that's really what's going to have to happen is a bunch of things are going to have to go right for Florida and Billy Napier, right? That you're going to have to get a big time season out of Montreal Johnson. You're going to have to see cohesion on the offensive line from some of these transfers who come in. They're going to have to really play. They're going to have to allow somebody like Damian George to slide into guard. And then George is going to have to be able to play better at guard than he did a tackle last year. And you're going to have a lot of different things. You're going to have to have somebody like Shimmer DK step up at wide receiver and be more than what he was at at, at Wisconsin. You're going to have to have Aiden Mizell become the, the big-time deep threat that we thought he could be as a true freshman, but now he's going to have to come in and prove that as a redshirt freshman. So a bunch of those different things. And, hey, we're going to have to have a linebacker who can tackle. So a lot yeah, of those. I got one more for you, Will. Okay. You got some big-name wide receiver just sitting there watching the Gators. DJ Lagway throws a 40-yard bomb. I mean, you know, th- those things can go a long way. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think – I would be like I the over under for Florida is five and a half. And given that schedule, I'm not sure that I'm real confident picking the over. But I also know that and, and as an analytics person, I don't really believe in momentum, but I believe in confidence. Right. Like you, you could feel sort of the confidence in the team over the course of the year, especially as the noise ramped up, especially during that five game losing streak. You could just sort of see at some point that, you know, there was a time where something go wrong. I was like, oh, man. And that is palpable. Right. That 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 everybody sort of is waiting for something to go wrong as a Buffalo Bills fan. I know exactly what that's like. So <laughs> uh, so so you got to sort of get past that. Some of that is making sure you take advantage of going into halftime and coming out of halftime. Some of it is making sure you don't screw stuff up on special teams and those sorts of things. But some of it is just, you know, when your coaches have a plan and you go out and you execute that plan and everything sort of takes off from the start. Like I think about that Tennessee game last year, like everything about that game plan made a lot of sense. And then it felt like Florida sort of got away from who they wanted to be in some of those games later in the year. So to me, I I actually think the big thing is going to be, is Florida able to establish the identity of who they want to be? And I do think some of that is DJ Lagway throwing big time bombs, but I think part of that is, um, is precision passing in that passing game and really starting to go downfield a little bit, but that's going to rely on offensive line, giving enough time for Mertz or Lagway to take those shots. And, and, you know, we'll see whether they're able to do that. So again, I think there's a lot that has to go right, but I'd say the same thing about Missouri, right? For Missouri to repeat what they did last year, a lot of stuff's going to have to go right for Kentucky to jump into the 10 wins space. A lot of stuff's going to have to go right for South Carolina to jump into that space. A lot of stuff's going to have to go right. It's a little bit more difficult now because you got Oklahoma and uh, and Texas in the fold, and certainly Florida's schedule indicates that even if everything goes right, they still may struggle. But you know, look, I said this last year that, or I said this, you know, towards towards the beginning of this year, I think I said it, which is basically, I at some point you got to look at this and say, hmm, Florida's schedule is so difficult that if they're able to pull this off, we'd mm-hmm. be looking at a playoff team next year. And that sounds ridiculous right now after a team that hasn't that hasn't made a bowl game in three years, or I guess they made a bowl game two years ago, but hasn't had a winning record in three years. It sounds ridiculous. At the same time, this schedule is set up to allow you to have a hiccup or two or three and still be able to make it into that 12. Until uh, until I see what they put out on the field, I'm going to hold out hope, man. Everybody calls me negative. I'm I'm positive here, thinking we've got an opportunity to make the playoff, even though I don't really believe it. But um, <laughs> but 
but there's a path, right? And so um, that's going to be the thing is they are going to have to show some stuff out on the field and it doesn't necessarily have to be making a playoff, but, but there's an opportunity to jump. They, they lost a lot of games last year that were close. They lost a lot of games where you look at one or two plays and go, man, if they could have just taken care of that one. Now, certainly the South Carolina game, they won that way, mm-hmm. but the Arkansas game, they lost that way. That Florida State game was a lot closer and Travis is leaving and you know there, there's a lot of stuff there too. Florida's playing a lot of teams where there's a lot of quarterback turnover. Um, you know, I think Brock Vandergriff has a great profile, but he couldn't beat out Carson Beck and we'll see what happens at, at, at Kentucky. Is he going to be another one of those guys who transfers into Kentucky? And all of a sudden we realize, oh, he's a Kentucky quarterback. This shouldn't be too bad. Yeah. Or is he going to start lighting it up and all of a sudden Kentucky's going to be good? There's a lot of it uncertainty. Be, I mean, Carson Beck was really good last year. So, yeah. Well, but again, I go back to Vandergriff has a great profile. Will he be good at Kentucky? Yeah. You've got, you've got, um, and, and they lose their OC. So they got to fit that in, you know, unexpectedly. So, you got Jaden Daniels leaving at, at, at LSU. You got um, Texas A&M completely changing their staff over. You got Miami, who really hasn't been much better than Florida the last couple of years and, and lost their quarterback as well. So there's a lot of turnover. Florida, in many ways, actually doesn't have that turnover, especially at the quarterback position with Mertz. We'll see if they can take advantage of it. I'm not counting on it. If you ask me to bet on it, I would say it's unlikely. At the same time, we've seen it before. And if you'd have told me before the season started last year that Missouri was going to be like a big-time player in the SEC East, I would have just been like, ha, not a chance. <laughs> and it turns out, every once in a while, sometimes everything aligns. So hopefully that happens for Florida, too. Hey, there's always surprise teams every year. What? Why, why not? Why not? Well, why, you know, as you, as you said, Missouri last year, but there's a, there's always that team every year. And may, maybe Florida can be that team. Um, Will, you talked about momentum a little bit, and we'll wrap up this episode here. Uh, momentum is just kind of been a fickle friend for Billy Napier <laughs> since he took for Florida. And all the good praise we've heard about strength and conditioning. And look, some of that's natural. Anytime there's a strength and conditioning change, it's pretty positive anyway, just by the nature of the beast. Uh, but there was a lot of momentum coming around Craig Fitzgerald and what he was doing, this foundation phase for Florida. And then right before the Super Bowl kickoff, we get, hey, um, he's leaving, by the way. Uh, he's, he's going to Boston College with Bill O'Brien. Uh, and of course, on the surface, it does not make a whole lot of sense um, to leave Florida for Boston College. And it may not make sense to you no matter the situation anyway. Uh, but like, it doesn't happen if Bill O'Brien takes another head coaching job in, say, Texas or Kentucky or Tennessee or anywhere in those states. But with Fitzgerald just leaving the Boston area with New England and Bill O'Brien going to Boston College, Fitzgerald's kids grew up there. His wife is from the Northeast as well. So it makes a whole lot of personal sense, even though it kind of distinct for Florida. Uh, and look, I know some of you don't really care for the excuse. That it's Florida lost a strength and conditioning coordinator to, to Boston College. But I mean, I'm not trying to make light of it, but you know, you can see the personal situation Fitzgerald finds himself in to make that move. I mean, well, if I had a chance to work with you and we had been working together for so long, like we have, and you know, some weird c- scenario comes up and I've owned a job for five weeks, but you offer me some job, we get to work together again. I'd think long and hard about it. And, and you know, so the personal aspect you can see, but uh, man, it does stink that if, if it was going to pay off, like we all hoped it would and everything that we were hearing from Trey on web, you know, a couple of weeks ago on Gators breakdown and, 
Joey Slackman talking to Florida Victorious and Bob Redman and saying how much he loved the strength conditioning program so far as well. Uh, this one does sting a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think in many ways there's no reason why whoever takes over can't continue what Fitzgerald had started. The plan should already be in place, and whoever they put in that position should be able to carry through that plan. Um, Obviously, the strength and conditioning coach is critical because he's one of the guys who's allowed to have contact with the players when the the other coaching staff is not allowed to have contact. So those guys sort of drive um, the improvement, but drive the development, but also sort of drive or at least – can get a gauge on when a guy's disengaged, when a guy is starting to to drift, those sorts of things. So in many ways, it's a relationship job more than it is just a strength and conditioning job. Um, you know, I am a little bit worried that we'll get back to like vigorous stretching and those sorts of things that the players were talking about before, uh, before Fitzgerald took over. But look, I, I think Florida saw at various times on the field last year that they got out physical. There's a reason that they decided to make a change from, from Mark Hawk to, to Greg Fitzgerald. And, um, so they're going to have to figure it out. And I mean, yes, the fact that he goes to Boston College stinks. Um, the fact that he decided to leave for what we would consider a downgrade in the job, yeah, that stinks. At the same time, I understand exactly what you're what you said, right? Is that when you know someone and you trust someone, that tends to trump just hey, I got a high profile job someplace, and and uh, you know the job security aspect of this can't be ignored either, right? Correct. I mean, with Napier being on some form of a hot seat, regardless of whether you think it's really really hot or somewhat hot, you're not talking about a ton of job security in Gainesville. You go and join Bill O'Brien, you got three years of job security, right? Every college, every college program, when they hire a new coach, essentially you're committing to three years. So he gets three years in a location that he's comfortable with, that his wife's comfortable with. The pay is probably pretty close because it's not like they're paying strength and conditioning coaches like they are offensive coordinators these days. Um, the pay is probably pretty comparable and you get to live where you want. I get it. At the same time, this is like, you know, Florida, if you're able to turn it around, is a stepping stone to something bigger and better, whether it's in college football or whether it's in the NFL. And honestly, I mean, Florida used to be the thing that was bigger and better. Now we're sort of a stepping stone to what's bigger and better. And apparently Boston College is more of a stepping stone than Florida is. That's tough to swallow, but that's sort of where we are. And I don't think you get anywhere by ignoring where you are. You have to acknowledge the reality and then go, what are we going to do to change it? And there are a lot of different things that you can do, but but the first thing you need to do is nail the next hire that you bring in for this position and make sure that people understand that you're going to support the people who are coaches in that position and that you're going to make it worth their while if they come down to Gainesville and decide to help turn this thing around. And uh, we'll see where they go from here. But yeah, it stings. I mean, obviously, you know, Fitzgerald was one of the guys that they brought in early on and said, hey, this is going to be somebody who changes the tenor of the program. And for him to leave after five weeks does speak i mean it does make me wonder you know we talked about recruiting this entire episode and convincing 18 year olds or 17 year olds to come to your program and uh, if you if you're struggling to convince the strength coach to stay at your program what does that say about your ability to keep those 17 and 18 year olds um i put it like this i, I had some you know some feedback when i i tweeted the message from Fitzgerald Napier last night and a lot of the feedback was, well, Florida was Florida. This doesn't happen. Well, I was like, well, Florida is Florida. He doesn't get hired in the first place. 
<laughs> I mean, the change was made because of, you know, because Florida's not Florida. You know, he, he's here because Florida needed to make a change there at strength and conditioning. And so, yeah, I mean, look, guys, Florida's not Florida. We, we know that. And that's something Billy Napier's got to dig a hole out of uh, right now. And one way you do that, what we talked about this episode is recruiting and hopefully keeping some staff members that you want to keep around. But, uh, yeah, I mean – that's the that's the path. That's that that's what we want to, to to get there. But Florida, yeah, right right now is not the Florida that we want it to be. So it'd just be nice to take a couple of steps forward without taking a step back and getting kicked in the nuts. It'd really be nice. Sorry, man. I mean, moment <laughs> this moment. I mean, beat Utah, we we'll lose to Kentucky. Beat Tennessee a couple of weeks later, we'll get your brains beat in by Kentucky. I mean, it's just you know you had uh, first season going into the you know you had those two wins against who was it Texas A and M and. and uh... Oh, wow. Um, geez. <laughs> We're both blanking. It was South, Car- it was South Carolina. They right. beat Rattler. Yeah, and then lose to Vandy and FSU last year, feeling good going into the Georgia game, only to lose five in a row. I mean, this momentum has just not been Billy Napier's best friend so far. And even the recruiting class last year had all the recruiting momentum in the world and start the season, and it, it goes awry. So, had some strength and conditioning momentum here, and it all all comes uh, to an end five weeks later. So, well, on the bright side, he learned in the Super Bowl that that other coaches make mistakes too. <laughs> when San Francisco decided to to receive the kick in overtime, so <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. I just don't. I just don't. I mean, how do you not know? I mean, I guess that goes to your point, Will. It's a it's a mistake that's there that just just happens. There's it shouldn't happen. Players should know the, the rule change, and coaches should know the rule change, and should be the first thing that's spoken about when you go out there for the coin toss. But hey, you know, it is what it is. I mean. I think Shanahan said afterwards that he held on that he wanted to get the ball first because that would allow him to get the ball third. Yeah, but, but but Kansas City's like we were going for two no matter what. Yeah, exactly. And so there was never going to be a third possession. And I would bet eighty percent of coaches are probably going for two on that second possession. I, that's yeah. just that's just a random guess by me, but I, I would. See, I th- this is this is where we really needed the Dan Campbell feed, so he could tell us what he thought <laughs> about that move when when they decided to get the ball. So. uh you know that that's what they had the Nickelodeon feed this year with like Dora the Explorer telling us what a touchdown was. I think uh, I think I think next year we need the Dan Campbell channel where he tells us what he would do from uh, or, you know for for on fourth downs. Oh. <laughs> uh, he would have went for that one fourth down. Andy Reid. Well, no, he didn't really think about it, but there was that one. What the start in the second half where they were really, oh, yeah. they were really wondering if KC was about to go for it on fourth down. Yeah. yeah. Well. So it's funny because all year long, Kansas City doesn't run Mahomes. Like he scrambles from time to time, Mm -hmm. but they don't run him intentionally. And then they ran read options with him like three times. And every time Bosa just crashed and off he went around the corner. And they even did it on the fourth and one there in overtime. And I'm just like, oh my God. Like to have a guy who could read the defense like that. And then when you need to bring it out, be able to run the read option actually on the last one it was a triple option he could have he could have thrown it out to kelsey if they'd have crashed on him and had him like essentially there was no way san francisco was going to be able to guard that play and i'm like oh andy reed i love andy reed man (laughs) (laughs) always always a wrinkle man always a wrinkle love watching that guy call some ball plays all right well yeah there we go 2025 recruiting getting us started right here uh we might go through you know next week uh probably just 
maybe position by position a little bit, some targets out there for the Gators. And I know we do that every year. So uh, we'll get it. But here's all the kind of storylines to get us started. We may have a commitment to talk about next Sunday. So that'll be uh, you know something to look out for right here on Gators Breakdown. And we'll break it down even more um, uh, as well. So, well, what you got coming up, uh, reading reaction? I know you had some, you had some quarterback stuff with, with Graham Mertz. Yeah, so I had something up there. I had something up there with Mertz recently. Um, I'm actually going to have something up tonight, hopefully, um, that talks about um, talks about is the offense really the problem? So one of the things I've seen when we've when we've sort of talked about offensive coordinator, why we need an offensive coordinator or don't need an offensive coordinator, it's been well, the defense is really the problem. So I want to take a look at that and say, hey, if the defense improved a certain amount, what does that really do for Florida? Um, you know, do we need to combine both offensive and defensive improvement? How important is that? And can Graham Mertz deliver that? So that's sort of the 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 crux of the article. Yes, the answer is yes. But <laughs> at the same time, it, it's it. I found it very interesting when I looked at how much, like, if you had to choose, would you rather mm-hmm. see defensive or offensive improvement? There actually is an answer to me, at least. There's an answer in terms of which side of the ball you'd rather uh, you'd rather see a benefit. So I'll be writing about that. Quick question about that: Is it? Are we going based off of the level where Florida offense is? Say, here's the barometer, like right here, and Florida's defense is here, or is it? Are you just talking in general? Which one needs to be better? Or are so, you talking? About, are you talking about specifically for Florida? Which one needs to be? So I'm saying specifically for Florida, but I'm going to be looking at all the teams in college football okay. and saying, what does it mean when you start talking about improvement, and what you find. So I'll go ahead and go ahead and give the punchline. What you find is that you get more bang for your buck with a with a spot in the rankings improvement on offense than you do with a spot in the rankings on defense. And it really doesn't matter where in the in the rankings you are that essentially you will get better a better record by seeing offensive improvement than you will defensive improvement. And there's some stuff on the margins right at the end where like yeah. you have LSU's offense and stuff like that, where it starts to get a little bit nonlinear, but essentially it's a linear relationship between ranking and points scored or points given up. And you end up getting more value out of having points scored. So check it out over there. It should be up tonight and uh, people can uh, take a look and see what I see what I came up with and then, and then argue that I did it wrong. <laughs> it was something you mentioned earlier and now you're probably going to be the one to do this because of what you are working on right now. How close was 2020 Florida and 2023 LSU? Oh, they were almost identical. I mean, it has to be. Mm-hmm. Trask, Heisman, Heisman-like, but didn't win it. Jaden Daniels did win the Heisman. Had to make up for some terrible defenses. Well, you think about like that old Miss LSU game that was just ridiculous. Yeah. And then, you know, the the Florida, the Florida LSU game in many ways kind of replicated maybe even the Florida Georgia game from 2020 where you know Georgia jumps out 14 nothing and then Florida just comes storming back in the other direction and and Georgia couldn't do anything to stop the wheel routes um I don't know that LSU had anything weird like the shoe toss or anything like that but uh you know but yeah I mean look that Florida team hung with Alabama for a while yeah. in the SEC championship yeah. game it was not an embarrassing performance until they got to the bowl game but it, <laughs> there was nobody there for that one um it, it wasn't like it, it wasn't like that team embarrassed itself they just lost a few oh, really that, close oh, that, games oh, that LSU game was embarrassing well I mean even before the shoe toss <laughs> uh spoken like somebody who's the press box <laughs> I couldn't see it was all foggy 
Yeah, I mean, look, they are very similar. In fact, I mean, like I said, I actually think 2023 LSU and Florida were really close. No, that's, that's I just think I just think last year's LSU team. Oh, okay. Yeah, and 2020 Florida. No, I'm saying last year's LSU team and last year's Florida team were very, very close. Oh, yeah. Except okay. for Jaden Daniels was okay. so good. I'll give that, you that, but that's where I'm going with 2020. You had Kyle Trask, who was yeah. so good, and a crap defense. And Jaden Daniels, so good, and a crap defense. I mean. Yeah, I've written about that a little bit, but it wasn't um, it wasn't real in-depth. I'm sure at some point I'll get bored and take a look at it. And that's, <laughs> those are uh, – I mean, because honestly, I could care less about LSU. <laughs> right, I know. Yeah, okay. no, no, did you not go out of your way on that one? I'm just, I'm just wondering. No, I'll probably, I mean, yes, they're very, very similar, right? And I think um, I think one of the things that you find, and I did write about this earlier in the year, one of the things that you find is that in one-score games, it can go either way. And when you have a bad defense, um, I suspect that probably those one-score games tend to be struggles just because you got to be, you have to be perfect with your clock management. Otherwise, you end up like San Francisco last night, right? I mean, San Francisco, there were a couple of times, the last drive in particular, they could have run the rest of the clock out if they'd have converted one more third down. And instead, you know, Kansas City got them with a blitz, was able to knock the pass down. They kicked the field goal to go up 19-16, but then Kansas City and uh, and Mahomes have like a minute and a half left. You do that enough with a bad defense, you're going to lose games. And, uh, you know, we saw that a lot. Mm-hmm. Even in even in the the – was it 20, 2021 when Anthony Richardson came in against LSU and it was just up and down the field the entire time. And then finally Richardson threw a killer interception and that was the end of the game. But um, even then it was, Hey, if Florida just could have gotten a couple of defensive stops, they would have had an opportunity to win that one. So we've sort of seen it over the last few years, same thing with Arkansas this year, right? Florida just could not stop them when it came down to the end. Um, you know, those sorts of games, I think just in general, when you get into them, like even if you look at a guy like Saban, a guy like Smart, they're not perfect in one score games. And in fact, most of the time, those are the games that keep Smart and Saban out of the national championship is those one score games. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen anymore because I'm pretty sure there's almost <laughs> zero chance that Georgia doesn't make the top 12 for the next two or three years. So, uh, you know, shoot. Boo. All right, all right. There we go. Yeah, good episode. Get this uh, get some good talk here at the end. But twenty twenty five recruiting class, and hey, like I said, um, could be getting better this week, and then uh, give you some targets to look out for, and maybe even pretty good start there for the twenty twenty five class. So that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. That is Will Miles. You can find him at Will Miles SEC and a site readingreaction.com on YouTube at Reading Reaction. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown.